Welcome, everyone, to our May episode of Silas Speaks, Silas' monthly podcast, which is your window into what is happening at Sila and the securities and insurance licensing industry. Silas Speaks is brought to you by Rhodes Online and Sila, and I'm Alistair Yu. And I'm Diana Ivey, and we have a really great episode today. Joining us is Cindy Davidson, who is the Content and Compliance Director at ExamFX. We speak to Cindy about her journey in the insurance industry and the evolution of education and testing needs over the past 30 years. She's had quite a journey. She's so fun to speak to, so I'm sure everybody's going to enjoy this chat. But before we get to Cindy, there's a few other things that are coming up, aren't there, on the calendar, Alistair? Absolutely, Dana, there are. There's some really great events coming up in May. On Tuesday, May 16th, the Silas Securities Industry Subgroup Meeting will be going on. That's Tuesday, May 16th at 1 p.m. Also, on Tuesday, May 16th at 2.30, the Silas Surplus Line Subgroup Meeting will occur, and that's 2.30 on May 16th. On Wednesday, the 17th, the Sila Adjuster Licensing Subgroup will have a meeting, and that's at 2 p.m. On Thursday, May 18th, the Sila Agency Carrier Subgroup meeting will occur. That's Thursday, May 18th at 2 p.m. And finally, on May 23rd, also Tuesday, the Sila Texas chapter will be having their meeting at 1 p.m. and all times are Easter. Also, Early bird registration is open for the SILA Education Conference in Hollywood, Florida. So don't forget to go to SILA.org to register for the conference. Um, other than that, Diana, what regulatory updates should our listeners be aware of? Well, we've got a few that I want to mention, um, and all are very important, as always. Um, the first one I want to just quick mention is Washington State. Um, I think uh People may have seen that Washington State eliminated its pre-licensing education requirement, but there's a warning for folks that that doesn't kick in until July. There's a specific date in July, um, July 23rd, and people still need to have pre-licensing education up until that date. So even though that has passed and was approved in statute, it is not effective until July 23rd. There's more detail on that, of course, um, in the bulletin itself. Um, The next one I want to mention is important for insurance carriers and surplus lines brokers or any um, entities that may make payments like tax payments to the department. The the department is changing its bank accounts for these types of transactions, EFT transactions. And as of May 31st, they need those folks making those types of payments need to be sure that they're using the new bank account. Um, trying to use the old one after that date um, could result in you know late penalties and fines and things. So super important. There's detail in the memo that people should absolutely take note of and make sure they make that change in their systems. And then the other, the third one I want to just mention is Texas um, has a proposed amendment to their statutes um, around licensing and folks with criminal histories. And there's some proposed amendments to the current language of the statutes that um, some of it is just non-substantive changes to certain sections of the statute, just to make it a little more clear, more readable, but others are are more substantive language changes that will um, provide more detail on um, determining fitness for licensure, 
um, or perhaps, you know, when license revocations or suspensions or refusals to renew might be um, determined, you know, depending on somebody's background. So that is very important to take a look at. The bulletin actually does contain the amendments, the proposed amendments that are there. So people should definitely take a look at that. It's um, quite a few pages um, and it's very important for anybody doing licensing to be aware of these changes. Um, so I, again, I just wanna remind folks to go to sila.org for the details on these and so many more important updates. Um, and before we get to our conversation with Cindy, I also wanna just remind people to check out the LinkedIn page, Silas LinkedIn page, which also gives um, little snippets of these regulatory updates as well. And now we'd like to welcome Cindy Davidson, Contact and Compliance Director at Exam FX. Yeah, welcome, also, Cindy. Oh, welcome, Cindy. Cindy's <laughs> Great also, to be here. Thanks for inviting me. So glad to have you on. And I know you're also the Education Chair of the SILA Board. So thank you for that as well. I know that what we also know is Go Owls. You're a Temple grad, right? And you Temple grew up in the University. Philly area. Yeah. I, I grew up outside of Philadelphia and I went to um, Temple, um, majored in English and somehow wound up in the insurance industry. So go figure. Go that. figure. I mean, we love to know about that. I mean, everybody <laughs> has such an interesting road and an interesting journey into how they got into insurance. We'd love to hear yours. Isn't that so true? I mean, <laughs> How many people intentionally go work in the insurance industry unless you're the child of an agency owner or, you, you know, you're as much of a nerd as you majored in risk management or something? And we're all nerds. So let's just embrace <laughs> that right off the bat. But I, uh, my first job out of college was at AM Best Company in New Jersey. So that I considered myself an editor. I worked on their safety and risk management publications. Um, but, it, you know, you kind of through osmosis start picking up uh, insurance knowledge and terminology. And then I moved to Los Angeles in the early 80s, mid 80s and started working for a company called Merit Publishing. All the old timers will remember Merit. Uh, it was an insurance publisher. And that's really, really learned about licensing and continuing at it. We published courses uh, to help people prepare for the licensing exams. Um, not in every state. So weird. The way it used to be, um, this will be a history lesson. Um, I'm old enough to remember when the exams, the producer licensing exams were administered by the state. At, at state facilities. And that the way you prepared for those exams was you studied from an official study manual. This was before the internet people. So mm -hmm. you, you used to actually buy your study manual from the insurance department. Okay. And, and then you would schedule your exam. So, you know, along the way, and it led to some really bad, really bad questions, honestly. So you would you would see an exam question that would say, um, what's excluded from coverage B? And you're like, what policy are we in? <laughs> <laughs> coverage B could be commercial property. It could be homeowners. It could be. So the, the questions were very um, poor, I would say, or just not professionally, always professionally developed. So a lot somewhere in the early 90s, the testing services started to get engaged and um, the states kind of were like, we don't want to really be in the testing business anymore. Right. So that we went into more professional exam development. Mm -hmm. 
I don't know if if you guys remember, but uh, Graham Leach Bliley sort sure. of because there was so much variation among states with mm-hmm. which licenses were available, and you know um, the lines of authority and how you applied and got your license was different everywhere. It's, Kind of like what adjuster licensing is now. Oh, did I say that out loud? But um, <laughs> but it, with Graham Leach Bliley, everybody had to become more reciprocal. Reciprocity was what everybody was talking about. And then they would say uniformity is what everyone asks for, but nobody really wants. That's probably still true. Uh, but reciprocity came along. Um, and that's when, you know, we got producer database, PDB, and we got NMPR, and we got um, more standardization amongst the lines of authority, and things kind of normalized when it came to producer licensing. So that was all in the early 90s. I see. So just a quick question. Let's take a step back. Mm-hmm. When the states administered the, the exams, Scantron, bubble sheet? Number Absolutely. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> and lead number two pencils. Don't Sit down. Those. I, I, I went, um, I supported a couple states. I, I used to support Tennessee and I went to an administration because I was like, our textbook was being used by the state and I should see how the exams are administered. And they were like, put your textbook under your desk, clear your desk. It wasn't a blue book. It was a multiple choice form that got handed out and then scantrons you're absolutely right don't get it in the bubble (laughs) (laughs) right and you didn't find out whether you passed for weeks i mean it was was a long time till you found out whether you passed the exam or not i see but i digress i'm sorry i was just not you're not wrong some people may not even know what a scantron is today Right. right? Is that company even still around? Right. I don't know. <laughs> Cindy, I wanted to ask your move to LA. Was it for the job or did you first? No, of course I met there? a boy. I met a boy. So <laughs> okay. um, I moved to California and then I ended up marrying um, that guy. So yeah, yeah. Um, the usual reason, right? For a cross country <laughs> move. Uh, but, and I was lucky. I, I knew nothing about LA. But I used to get the publications from the the West Coast company at Ambest. Mm-hmm. And I asked, I asked my future husband, like, this company's in Santa Monica. Is that anywhere near LA? Like I knew nothing. I knew nothing. <laughs> I was like, he's like, that would be perfect. And that that's where I ended up working for 15 years. So go figure. <laughs> yeah, it was funny. And now you never left the beach. Beach is great. I have not. <laughs> I have not. No. It's it's kind of hard to leave the beach once you live at the beach. <laughs> Yeah, it's also, I'm sure you don't miss the East Coast weather, especially in the winter. Not at all. I've lost any <laughs> driving in the snow skills I may have ever had. I've just, um, my company now is based in Kansas City, and I try not to go there December, January, because, you know, 40 miles from the airport is is not doable but for me, if it's snowing or icy or icy. No, 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 no. No. Can't do it. So, and best merit, and now, and then? So so this is interesting, and, and I don't know who all remembers this, but there was a period of extreme uh, consolidation in insurance mm-hmm. um, publications, right, publishing industry. And, you know, at some point, we stopped being an education company. We started being technology companies because everything moved to online. But in the late 90s, early 2000s, huge 
number of integrations, acquisitions. I used to say my business card should be an Etch-a-Sketch because it was like, I'm being, I'm being rebranded again, right? It just got bought again, or it's another, another acquisition. So that, you know, that happened all through then. And um, pretty much every company I'd ever worked for ended up being acquired um, by Kaplan. What ended up being Kaplan, Kaplan evolved to over the time. And I worked there for a bunch of years and, uh, you know, it was great. And, um, but then about, it's almost 12 years now that I've been with ExamFX. So um, it was, it was an opportunity to just do something different because I already knew all the courses and all the stuff that was happening at, at Kaplan and um, Bysis and eMind and Pictorial and Merit all got kind of, Dearborn all got kind of taken over by Kaplan and um, exam effects was, you know, a chance to do something a little different. Um, so yeah, it was still within the same, the same industry. Sure, so sure. we, it's all the people kind of change. I mean, you know, like Barb Gavin and I work together at Kaplan and now we work for competitors, different competitors. So it's, it's kind of like, where are you now? <laughs> like, so tell us about your role as, as a content and compliance director. Are you building education? Are you building exams? A little bit of both. Yeah. So my job is to, I have a content team and I have a compliance team. So mm -hmm. the content team, we make sure that all of our courses are um, meeting the new outlines, whatever the states, you know, say, oh, we're going to start testing on this new topic. So we have to make sure that that information is included. Um, I have to make sure that they stay approved, right? So all our courses have to be approved and we have to be approved as a provider. So that's a lot. I always say it's like keeping 51 corks underwater at the same time because, but it's really only, it's really only 23 or because, um, it used to be half and half, roughly, who had a pre-licensing education requirement and who didn't. There's been some change in the last 12 months. Three states have removed their pre-licensing education requirement, just like, we don't need to be in charge of this anymore. We don't need to approve instructors and providers and stuff. So we're down to 23, and then there's 28, if you count DC, who don't have a specific pre-licensing education requirement. And think of all the things that could be in my brain instead of that. I know. My husband says you're an expert in the weirdest subject in the world. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, that's kind of true. It is true. Um, but yeah, so we make sure our courses stay approved in the states where they need to stay approved. That includes pre-licensing and continuing ed. We do have securities content too, but I'm not a securities expert. I, I don't even play one on TV. I try not to um, get involved, um, but we do have those courses. And then the, the compliance team makes sure that we issue certificates and we do rosters and we stay on top of, um, you know, all the, the rules and regulations. And uh, yeah, so that's kind of my job in a nutshell. I do write content sometimes um, just to stay in practice. So, yeah. How, how do you or your team keep up on all of the changes in the industry? So SILA is a huge resource for us. I mean, we get, we go into the SILA charts, I guess you would, I guess that's what they're called, the resources, and, you know, look at, uh, do we need, do they need to know about fingerprinting in this state or, um, you know, is proctoring required for the exams in this state? So that is a huge resource for us. You know, as you know, we're in a state regulated business and there is no, um, there's no central place really tell you, you know, who's the testing provider for this state and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So it is um, a little ad hoc. Sometimes it's pick up the phone. Does anybody know what's happening? You know, is, is the state changing to a new, um, 
testing service? Is there a provider switch? Does anybody know? So it's all very informal. Right. But just being able to, I guess, work with Sila, I guess you also have exposure to different regulators as well in respect yep. to how we can, you know, talk about different ideas and, you know, talk about the evolution of whether it's certification or exam or just even content, right? So the evolution of what? Repeat that. I'm sorry, the evolution of, you know, how exams should be, you know, uh, yeah. so, or even content, so right? There's these things called national, um, well, they have, there's content outlines and those come from the testing services. So the content outline will say, uh, everyone who gets a life and health license should know about annuities. And the, out of a hundred questions on our exam, I'm making this up, um, you know, a hundred questions out of the exam, eight of them should be on annuities. So we're going to have 8% of our questions in this area. Uh, we do as education providers sometimes get an opportunity to participate in those exam review workshops. Um, some states aren't comfortable with that because we write the prep preparatory content. So it looks like we're getting a, you know, insider's um, information about what's on the exam. Uh, sometimes we get to look at the questions and help make them better. You know, this question looks like it has two right answers, or this question looks like it has no right answers. So there's all kinds of um, sure. input that we can do to help kind of improve the, the whole process. And, and it really depends um, from the different testing services, the level to which we're allowed to participate. Uh, we do, of course, provide feedback. So I'll get a phone call from a customer who says, there were 10 questions on my exam on yacht hull insurance. And I'm like, I can guarantee there were not 10 <laughs> questions on your exam on yacht hull insurance, but yacht hull insurance might have been a distractor, like one of the wrong answers on a question. And so if you're taking the exam and you're in that moment and you're kind of freaking out because you don't know what yacht hull insurance is, it seems like there were 10 questions about it, right? So that kind of, like, I'll sometimes send an email going, you guys don't have 10 questions on yacht hull insurance, right, on your commercial exam. And they're like, no, no. So that's not happening. So we do have lines of communication about those kinds of things, yeah. So this is what I'm dying to know about exams. So I'm sure, and, and you just opened this up to me, I'm sure there's a whole science to how to build questions and how to build exams. I mean, that's the first part. We can talk about that. Yeah. And then I also want to know, does that make you a better test taker? Well, let's start with, <laughs> if you know how the sausage is made, right? Yeah. That, yeah. Right? So let's talk about exam, you know, creation, right? What, so ex exam creation uh, from our perspective uh -huh. is we really try to make in our, our practice exams as close to the state exam as we can. So meaning, you know, if there's eight questions on annuities, there should be eight questions on annuities in our when we construct our practice exams so that they are super close to you, you don't get 10 questions on yacht hull insurance because that's not good practice <laughs> for an upcoming property casualty exam. So um, there is testing science. And if you want to know more about putting the psycho back into psychometricians, you <laughs> should probably talk to invite one of the testing services to to join you for a, a future podcast because they Absolutely. will know all about p-values and yeah. whether a question is a valid question or whether it's a high difficulty level question. That's all that's their science. I, I, I don't I I can, you know, it's it's like I know a few words. But I, I didn't speak the language. <laughs> so they they actually have that science down. And as to whether it makes me a better test taker, I don't think so. But I think when you build exams, you don't have as much test anxiety. 
I mean, you know, you know the interface. You you don't right. Think, oh, what if I accidentally mark a question and it won't let me get back to it or whatever. So I think, um, yeah, I don't know if I'm a better testing. <laughs> Probably not. But you don't have to worry about that anyway. So I don't. And in <laughs> all these years, I have never taken an agent licensing exam because. When you take an agent license exam, you have to sign that you are intending to, to write business. And I don't intend to write business. I'm not a producer. I'm never going to be a producer. So it wouldn't be right for me to take a license exam, you know, because I'm not going to, I'm not going to apply for my license. So I, so I've never gotten licensed. Um, and I don't know, maybe that's, maybe that's my uh, side hustle after I retire or something, but I'm totally <laughs> never did it in all these years. I just became more of an expert in the, the, the knowledge, um, you know, what could be asked on an exam? Mm -hmm. What do you need to know? That's right. It's like the Princeton review of agent exams of a producer license. Yeah. So they call it a domain. The, the word is the domain. The, you know, what, what could be asked on commercial auto? What is the knowledge domain for that subject? So yeah, that, that's where we, that's where we get to be experts in the weirdest subject in the world. Well, uh, Alistair introduced you and mentioned your role with Sila. I think you've had several roles with Sila. Can you tell us a little about a little bit about how you got involved in Sila, your past and current roles? Sure. Um, so I, I started coming. I think I, I wanted to ask Diana, but my first Sila conference was in Hilton Head, and I think that was like the third one, maybe <laughs> ever. Um, and we were a vendor. So always, always came in as a vendor in the exhibit hall. And, um, you know, I've, I've been a silent member since then. I, I think I've gone to all the conferences except maybe one or two because I was, you know, busy having a baby or something, but <laughs> the, um, I've presented on panels. I've helped moderate. I've been on committees. Um, it's, just a, an incredible organization. In 2014, I joined the Silo Foundation Board as the compliance trustee. Uh, then I took on uh, education trustee and did that for a couple of years. Uh, and then a couple of years ago, I joined Sila Inc. Board, um, rotated off the foundation board as education director. So right now my job is to support the designation program. So go out and get your SILA associate and your SILA fellow. <laughs> and also to make sure that SILA members continue to have really great educational opportunities, not just at conference, but really throughout the year. Um, I would say that joining SILA and becoming active in SILA is just more than joining it. You, you need to participate, join some committees, have a voice. Um, it's really one of the best professional decisions you'll make because if you're new to the industry, there's incredible resources available to you to learn. Mm -hmm. um, and if you're seasoned, I'm not going to say old, if you're seasoned, <laughs> um, that you, you will have opportunities to network. Uh, you have opportunities to 
participate in committees and ha again, have a voice, influence, speak up, and then also a chance to stay on top of industry changes. And when you know people come to the silo conference just to hear the regulator updates because the mm -hmm. you know this is what's happening in our legislation. This is what we're thinking about changing in our rules. It's just invaluable the information you get. So uh, I think, and and just as a funny aside, um, silo was created by a company called Pictorial. And I don't know who remembers Pictorial, but Pictorial was a competitor to the company I was working for, Merit, in California. And we were like, what a stupid idea. <laughs> Why would you make an association of regulators? I mean, how many people will ever join? 50? Like we just were mocking. And look, you know, that just goes to show like, what do we know? Because it turned into this amazing, huge, influential, important organization. So how, how funny is yeah. that? That's For okay. Mm -hmm. In this business, anyway, it is. Yeah. It's essential. Totally. Yeah, yeah, totally. When, when I was in college, I didn't think email was going to make it. So <laughs> wait, wait. Oh, when Cindy Lauper and Madonna were both new at the same moment, <laughs> And I thought Cindy Lauper is going to own this. She is just so talented and has the best voice. And Madonna is going to be a flash in the pan. So again, <laughs> but don't time answer. after time is still a timeless song. It is. It is. <laughs> well, I, got was, one, I was dead. I, I was dead wrong you. on that. I was dead wrong on that. For sure. <laughs> just like that, um, with regard to GPS, I remember getting a random telephone survey from a company, I guess that was developing GPS and they were asking questions about, you know, if this existed for your car, would you use it? I'm like, that sounds ridiculous. I have my MapQuest. <laughs> yeah. Then, right. Looking well, we back, I'm like, out, how stupid was that? <laughs> we used to print out those MapQuest instructions and take them in the car like we were pirates. Yeah, exactly. You know? like, and how you're trying to drive and read paper sure. at the same time. Ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> so funny things change so fast right <laughs> they do yeah. I keep saying if you guys make me learn one more application <laughs> I am going to forget something important like how to tie my shoes like that's gonna go <laughs> yes <laughs> our brains will become mush and They're we full. will be lost I'm without our cell phone <laughs> I'm officially full my brain is officially full <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's all good progress <laughs> so oh, you've so uh-huh. I'm oh, sorry, Alistair. I was going to ask Cindy. I think she has some fun extracurricular um, <laughs> ventures that might be interesting to share. Was that where you were going to, Alistair? Absolutely. We, oh, okay. <laughs> I understand that you are a certified California naturalist. I am. So I've always been a nature nerd, um, a big camper, big hiker, mm -hmm. uh, ran, ran two Girl Scout troops at the same time when my kids were little. That was insane, <laughs> but fun. Um, last year, uh, so I backpacked the Grand Canyon six times. Wow. Anybody wants to do that? I'm a good resource. Uh, and last year I got to achieve a bucket list, uh, lifelong bucket list, because I hiked the Inca Trail to Machu Picchu with my sister and my daughter wow. Isabel. And it wow. was great. And I would recommend everybody do it. But uh, about four years ago, I decided I wanted to sign up for this. It was before pandemic, so we could still do field trips and stuff. Mm -hmm. And we, I signed up to become a certified California naturalist. And uh, there's a Southern California 
version. There's a desert version, a mountain version, because, you know, California. But the, the Southern California one was all about beach ecosystems. And we did all these different um, field trips. And then, um, Alistair, you, you asked me whether there was an exam process. I actually had to do a capstone project. So okay. Exam. So I actually built um, bee houses for wow. Californian native bees for pollinators to support pollination. Wow. And um, it was pretty cool. And I got to do it with five kindergarten classes in one of the local elementary schools has a science makerspace. And so I was there all day and from, you know, brought all the supplies and we built bee houses with five kindergarten classes. It was super fun. And that's how I got my California certified naturalist um, designation. And um, so the thing I would share is there's this app. Everybody stop what you're doing and put this on your phone because it's called, it's called iNaturalist. It's the picture is a little bird. Uh, it's free. And if you take a picture with your phone, I'm assuming everyone has a, an iPhone or a camera enabled phone, take a picture of any plant, any bug, any um, animal, any bird, birds don't hold super still. So I've not had a lot of luck with bird photography, but if you put you observe that into the app. It tells you what you're looking at. Latin name. It knows where you are, geolocates you. So it's mm -hmm. not going to give you a lizard that only you can find in Peru. Right. It's going to tell you what's in your local area. And it is so much fun. Even if you just walk outside, take a little walk, take a picture of a, um, a flower or a bug that's crawling up your wall. Mm -hmm. And this app tells you its name it's like magic that is great I mean imagine you're cool. pulling weeds in your yard and you you are about to grab poison ivy right, right? or, or you amazing. pull something so, that's edible and who yeah knows, yeah right so <laughs> what is we, the name I'm sorry repeat the name I again. naturalist little I naturalist I naturalist yes little I naturalist and it's the most it's maybe the biggest takeaway from my naturalist training because I use that every week it it is just so much fun. I'm definitely going to download it. If you're a nature nerd, if you're a so, nature nerd, it's super you think fun. you use it for mushrooms? You like can. You're like you know, as you know, if you're yeah, forking. but it'll if you uh, honestly, I, I did this, I uh, and it warns you, like, don't eat any of these. Don't I was going to say, are you foraging for psychedelic <laughs> mushrooms? I, don't know. I wasn't going to go there. Like, if you forage for <laughs> mushrooms, you wasn't going to go there. Dangerous. But yeah, no, it gives you all kinds of warnings. And when I was hiking up in Humboldt in October, I took a lot of mushroom pictures and it was, there was like warnings everywhere. So <laughs> don't eat this, don't eat this. We're not hundred percent sure. There's something called a false chanterelle. It looked just like a chanterelle mm -hmm. and uh, it's not edible. So it's kind of like, you need to be a mushroom expert, Alistair. I don't think you can, you know, just use yes. an app. No. Well, I have an app called Not Hot Dog. It's the same thing. You take a picture, it tells you if it's a hot dog or not a hot dog. That's what it is. But I think this iNaturalist, I think is much better. On, on the yeah. list of apps that maybe never needed to be created. Not a hot dog I don't know. I would love to know how just from a photo, they could tell whether something's a hot dog or not. That, that's fine. I, I would think that your brain, your brain can do that for you. <laughs> your brain can do that for you. I don't know. I, I do love it. I naturalist. I'm going to download. Yeah, it. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's my favorite app of all time. Thanks yeah. for that tip. Of Thank course. You. That's really helpful. <laughs> all right. Are we on to our favorite final question? 
favorite yeah, kind of question. Please, Dana, would you mind? <laughs> sure. So, Cindy, we love to ask our guests, our guests who all have had, you know, interesting and varied journeys along the way in this insurance business. So we like to ask them what they would perhaps um, tell themselves when they were just starting out in in this journey um, what wisdom what words of wisdom I knew this was yourself? coming too like, <laughs> because I do listen to your podcast and I know that you always ask this so and my um so I've given it a lot of thought and I guess what I would say to my younger self starting out would be be confident trust your instincts and speak up more it's hard to believe for people who know me now that I was kind of a late bloomer I wasn't always outspoken or opinionated or bossy and all of those are adjectives that have been applied to me. So I'm, um, <laughs> I'm not making that up. Um, but I also wish I had known how to support women, other women better because we are in such a male dominated space. I mean, um, I think over the years, I've definitely figured that out a little bit better and um, there's still time and opportunity. I'm not dead yet, right? So I, I still have... <laughs> time and opportunity still to, to do that. But when I started in the industry in the eighties, it was so male dominated, like mm -hmm. words can't even yeah. conjure up what, what we were up against. Mm -hmm. um, there weren't female executives. There weren't female insurance commissioners. Mm -hmm. I mean, there just weren't mentors and role models. It just didn't, it didn't exist. Yeah, and there weren't really any many uh, female brokers and agents either. Right, right. On the, I'm sure on the security side. Um, so yeah, I you know I think it would have been good to speak up, but I also think when you look back, it's important to give yourself some grace. Right, look back on your your whole life with context and empathy. So I really believe that you make the best decisions you can make. Given the information you had at the time, yeah. right, mm -hmm. and that's true of relationships. It's true of mm -hmm. your career. It's true of financial decisions. I mean, you know, I know my husband. He sometimes lays awake and goes, "I wish we'd never sold that house in Hermosa. We should have hung on to it." And you know, and it's like we made the best decision we could make at mm -hmm. the time with mm -hmm. the information. How would we know what it would be worth today, and like what it would have taken to hang on to it? You know, you just have to. I don't tend to overthink or second guess myself. So I think it's important for everyone to give themselves that grace and kind of say, yeah, I wish I'd done this, but it all worked out. I love that. I, I love that too. <laughs> embrace, that. embrace the new and let go of the old. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. We, did, we did the best we could, right? Yeah. Oh, that's all you could ask for. Right? Exactly. And now we get to tell the stories. And honestly, <laughs> people would not believe what the industry was like 30 years ago. They just would not recognize it. So, you know, kudos to the industry for evolving. Mm -hmm. um, and I didn't meant to say too, that the SILA conference wasn't like that. Like you'd go to the NAIC meeting and it was all guys. But if you went to the SILA conference, it, there was a lot of women all the, all the time from the beginning. So I wonder, I, I don't know this for a fact. I'm not a gender, gender studies professor and I don't think anybody studied this, but I wonder if financial services industry, an early area of opportunity for women was in licensing and registration and that there were opportunities to get into management and have a successful career and have leadership opportunities because I definitely noticed more representation from women from the beginning. 
at the silent know, conferences. Uh, Cindy, I think um, going back, you know, in time, um, many people who were starting out in licensing were often just people who were somebody's secretary in some local office. How about that? And yeah. so that would explain, I think, who would go to a licensing conference back in those, you know, so maybe there times. wasn't such a thing as a licensing professional. And that's something that women right. could um, kind of take on and become experts. And I don't know, I don't know the answer, but it just is always curious to me because I started attending both right around the same time. And it was like, Sahila always had a lot of women there. It was, it was, it was great. It was mm. great. Felt like you had peers. That's interesting. <laughs> Well, I think we are, I don't have any more questions for Cindy, Alistair, do you? No, well, only one more. Are you going to be in uh, Hollywood, Florida in October? Oh, of course I wouldn't right. miss it. So we get to hang out again. Yes. And, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to that, of course. I'm also um, teaching one of the pre-conference classes. Deirdre and I are co-teaching a uh, ethics, ethical decision-making in financial services. So I'll get to do an hour of fun stuff and horror stories from the, the mean streets of insurance. And then Deirdre's going to do the same for security. So uh, we, I love co-teaching with Deirdre Patton. So we're, we're going to have a good She's time. Amazing. Now, yeah. is that course for new uh, people who are new to the industry? or so That could they... be for anybody. Uh -huh. It's kind of a what not to do, you oh, know, okay. mm -hmm. kind of like a anti-money laundering. Like this is what not to do mm -hmm. as, a, as a producer. It will count as an ethics class towards your oh. designation so we're you know, it's really open to anybody who wants mm -hmm. to attend and i i think we'll make it fun we'll That's try great. Oh. <laughs> well, we're all looking forward to seeing you in october at the yeah. education conference in hollywood florida wait and i hope all our listeners are attending too and we look forward to seeing you there as well but cindy thank you so much for your time we really appreciate you taking Thanks time so out of your time this was we fun en we enjoyed chatting with you fun as always <laughs> i'm gonna get a new app on my phone me too yeah. right as right as soon as we <laughs> end <laughs> you're gonna have a fun weekend now <laughs> thank you so much thanks guys all right have a good one well diana another great pod um, really great conversation with Cindy, wouldn't you agree? Yeah, absolutely. So she's so fun and she's just had a, a phenomenal journey. Um, and she I love the tip she gave about that app, and I can't wait to go and upload it <laughs> or download it. <laughs> yeah, that, that's right. Um, so if you have any questions for us, me or Diana, please reach out. Our email is silaspeaks at sila.org. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at, at Silas Speaks. We'd like to thank you all for listening and don't forget to follow Sila.org on LinkedIn for updates for what's going on at Sila. Yeah, and most importantly, don't forget to register for the Sila Education Conference in sunny Hollywood, Florida. Grab that early bird discount, which is available already and will be available for the next, uh, I guess, until July. So about two months. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Until then, see you at the next pod. See you then. The materials in this podcast are intended to provide a general overview of the issues contained herein and are not intended, nor should they be construed, to provide specific legal or regulatory guidance or advice. 
If you have any questions or issues of a specific nature, you should consult with appropriate legal or regulatory counsel to review the specific circumstances involved. The information or opinions communicated in this podcast are not necessarily opinions of SILA and the SILA Foundation.